and welcome to another edition of Planning People, the NMA podcast. This is Jack Gilbert, Chief Reporter at NMA. And for this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Anthony Morrow, Chief Executive of digital advice firm Open Money. Anthony, thanks for joining me. Hello, Jack. Thanks for inviting me. And today we're going to be talking all things uh, at the advisor market, advice technology. Um, so, Anthony, I want to jump straight into this. Can you give us uh, a run through of what Open Money does and uh, why you rebranded to Open Money earlier this year? Yeah, so it was less of a rebrand and more really a separation of the two services that we offered when we launched the business as Evesta back in 2017. Um, and Evesta was really launched uh, to try and address uh, what we saw as a gap in the market uh, for those people who uh, weren't able or weren't willing to pay the fees that were currently being charged by the traditional advice market. Uh, were very uh, much supporters of the value of advice, uh, but recognise that actually the current advice market uh, serves uh, a part of the population well, but there's a, there's a large part of the population uh, for whom uh, that supply of advice uh, just isn't there for. So we thought if we could use technology uh, and the business model designed exactly to deal with those people, uh, then we could go some way to uh, solving that problem. So we launched Evesta, uh, and... Uh, when was that? Uh, that was uh, May 2017. Uh, we started work on it at the beginning of 2016. Yeah. So it took us about a year uh, to get the thing built up to a sort of minimum viable product level, uh, and we launched it. And very quickly, uh, I mean, within six months, uh, two things became very apparent. Uh, one was we were operating two very distinct services within the Evesta brand. One was the advice uh, business, uh, which was our what we considered to be our core proposition, uh, and then uh, a do-it-yourself uh, service. So for those customers who are confident making their own decisions uh, but want uh, support in actually investing the money, uh, then we had a service that, that, that provided it. Uh, and it meant that actually we were uh, giving confusing. It was very difficult for us to get a, a coherent message there without it being confusing. Uh, so, so that was one of the reasons. Then the second reason was on the advised side, uh, a, a large part of the number of people who were coming through and we were giving advice to, uh, and as of today's date, we've had about 35,000 people come through the advised uh, service. Um, almost 70% of those people we were recommending didn't invest for a whole reason, a whole range of uh, reasons, but primarily uh, their levels of debt, their lack of cash, uh, or their short-term objectives where they weren't willing to or, uh, or needed to access yeah. their, their cash. So investing for those people wasn't the right thing. It to just do wasn't the right thing for them to do. So we had to evolve that proposition to enable us to provide services to those people who were recommending at that point uh, didn't invest so that we could get them to become investors at some point in the future, but only when their uh, circumstances uh, were, were appropriate. And that led us to invest heavily in the open banking technology, which enabled us to provide and build 
tools that could help those people with areas such as budgeting, helping, you know, ways in which they could see how to uh, spend less on their, you know, credit cards and pay down their credit cards. Um, but what that led us to, to see was actually the advice we were given was much broader than uh, just traditional, here's to, you know, accumulation uh, investment. And the message we were giving uh, probably wasn't best described by the investor uh, title. Mm -hmm. So those two things, the uh, the confusing message and the fact it didn't describe really what our core service um, uh, did, uh, led us to look at uh, separating those two and coming up with an alternative brand, uh, which was uh, open, open money, open money and uh, which we launched uh, earlier earlier this year. Yeah, and how have things been since the re the, the rebrand? Well, it's been, I mean it's it's been fantastic. Uh, you know. With, the, the the momentum we've had really since the start of the year uh, continued through the through the rebrand um, or, or the split of the uh, split of the brand uh, through to open money you know to the point that as I say we've had over thirty five thousand customers come through the service uh, now uh, we average you know uh, over thirty thousand unique website visits a month uh, and all, all, all good. Uh, indicators that we've, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing. Mm. And I, I gather today you had some news as well that you were ex ex expanding the service to include uh, mortgage advice. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, we've always seen ourselves as a, uh, a financial advisor that just uh, uses technology um, at, at the very heart of how we deliver that advice. So we started off with the, you know, investments. Uh, we branched out to include some of the non-regulated uh, advice, so debt and uh, debt and that. Uh, but we've always in, we always intended to extend that out into areas such as mortgages and 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 also with protection, both of which uh, the, the the new service will allow us to to deliver. Is that also a reflection of kind of the age brackets of the of your clients or prospective clients who are coming forward? Well, I, I mean, age-wise, we are pretty broad, we're a pretty broad church in terms of the the customers that we've that we've got on board. But it's certainly true that uh, probably the most popular objective for those people for whom investing isn't right. So, I, for those people who have got a short-term goal, is building a deposit uh, for mortgages. And so, using the the tools that we've got through the app to help people build. Uh, um, that deposit, it made sense for us really to extend that journey out uh, so that at the point that they are ready to um, take out a mortgage, we can be there to support them. So the service will be very much not just aimed for those people who at that moment are ready for a mortgage, but really to help them uh, start the journey on getting a mortgage, which will be to you know building deposits, uh, and, and getting regular savings in place. Mm. And now, um, Anthony, when firms uh, similar to yourselves often come to us, see us in the studios, they'll, they'll tell us they don't want to be referred to as robo-advisors. They'll say the term robo-advice is pejorative. I'm guessing you're going to be in the same camp as those other other firms who don't like the term robo-advice, or certainly for yourself. Is, is that the case? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, we've got no robots. Um, you know, we've got some really good technology, but we also back that up with some humans, and and the mortgage proposition will, will you know sit alongside the uh, infrastructure we've got for the 
investment advice, which is there's humans there and qualified advisors there for those people who just want more assurance, um, you know, whenever they whenever they need it. You know, we don't think that we certainly don't think with mortgages that it's a product that naturally lends itself to a uh, fully automated proposition at the mm. moment. I think it's a huge um, uh, commitment for a lot of people. Uh, you know, generally could well be their biggest financial commitment uh, in their lives. Uh, and therefore, you know, support you know, is, is something that we think will be, will, will be valuable to people. Mm. And looking at that kind of interaction, there's obviously if um, you know, I become a customer of Open Money, um, I'd be if. interested. Is that an if? If, if potentially, you know, when, when, or if, Anthony, um, there must be a point where that human interaction comes in. What point would you would you kind of get someone on the phone to me if if and when I'm a customer of you? When would you kind of use that human intervention? Well, I, I, I mean, the hu- introducing the humans or having the humans there was really um, us recognizing that. For a lot of people, anything involving money is a really emotive uh, decision. So it's not like you know buying car insurance or you know are you changing your your utility provider. Uh, and that actually at the end of the um, uh, the journey, the uh, the online journey, whilst the the system is built that if someone never wanted to speak to a human again, they could transact, get a piece of advice you know, carry that out and uh, and invest their money. The reality is for a lot of people, they want some uh, validation or some assurance. Uh, and the ability to speak to an advisor, prove, uh, certainly on our uh, experience, uh, bears that out in that most people want to know that we're real, so we're not just a, a website operating out of Malta or somewhere, and that actually the recommendation or, or the action they're about to take is the right thing for them to do. Uh, and that isn't something that you can apply an arbitrary amount on or an uh, arbitrary timing on because different... It's not like it's over £50,000 to invest you're going to... No, because you know, we may not think £50,000 is a lot of money, but you know, or we may not think £100 is a lot of money or, you know, or whatever the number is, but that's, a, and that's pure, hugely subjective from our part so we don't apply that because we recognize that different people have different views and different timings on on it so we 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 make it so it's at their convenience as opposed to our convenience Hmm. and i I guess looking at the robo advice market more generally anthony obviously it's um you know it's had its troubles i guess in the last 12 18 months um given that we've seen a few firms leave the market We've also seen quite a damning FCA report on on kind of firms' failings and suitability there. And I mean, obviously, we've seen ongoing kind of lack of profitability from a number of firms. Just wondering what you think are the kind of main drivers behind some of the issues that some of the other or some of robo advisors more generally have, have had in the last 12 months or so. Well, if I try and pick them up in that order, then I think there's... So what, profitability? Or the other order, order? The other order, people leaving. People leaving the market. Yeah. So if I, if I look at those people leaving the market, so then you've got, to, you've got to question exactly how committed they would have been uh, to it. You so know, UBS, the, UBS, UBS pulled their, their, their offering. Yeah. Yeah, Investec. Investec, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, they're, they're huge firms. So whatever they do in this space was never going to be a core uh, proposition. Mm-hmm. So the numbers that they would have had to generate for 
I guess, for it to be in a sustainable business would have been huge. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, it, feel, it felt like it was a dip in the toe. Let's see what it, you know, see what it looks like, but quickly roll that back in. When, when they realise... Do, when it is, it, is, it is hard work. And it is hard work out there. I mean, if you look at our numbers, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're recommending that 70% of the people that come to us shouldn't be investing, then it's, you know, it's, it's not likely that we're getting a totally different tranche of the population than, than, everyone, than everyone else's. So I think the reality is, is that, you know, people haven't got money to invest. So there's only so much of that investable money going around with quite a lot of these digital online do-it-yourself services to feed yeah and they're springing up all over the place you know every few weeks we see a new launch coming through absolutely or with a unique twist yeah so it's a tough market to operate in i think it is yeah okay the next next one was on the fca's suitability report which came out last year yeah so again i'm almost just following on from there what i was speaking about i mean if we've got 70 percent of uh people coming to us we're applying what we uh, believe are they the same suitability requirements as someone would enjoy if they went to see a face-to-face advisor, then you, you know you, you need to see whether or not uh, it's fair for those people who go down the do-it-yourself route, um, you know, should, should in fact end up uh, investing. Which was part of the FCA's concerns. It was. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can see that, you know, how many people who come to us to invest, who are told not to invest, then go on somewhere else to, uh, to actually do end you, up investing. Do you think that problem is unique to robo-advisors, though? Do you think, or yeah. do you th- do you think it is, is it, you know, in DIY, you know, online platforms or, 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 you know, even amongst IFAs? Because a lot of the time we'll hear about kind of client acquisition and, and assets under management, and there is that big kind of push for growth among firms. But obviously, you know, every person is different and they've got their different needs and they've got mortgages and they've got credit cards and they've got children, you know, to look after financially and whatever else. And investing is not always the best option. Well, you know, I'm a pretty well, um, you know, well-heard champion of the value of advice yeah. and the, the dangers that come from non-advised solutions. Which are the fact that you have people who are investing who perhaps shouldn't be investing and had they gone down to see an advisor would almost certainly have been told not to not to invest. Yeah. I mean, if you look at an example, if someone has a couple of thousand pounds worth of unsecured debt, no cash, no cash savings at all. But Which is pretty prevalent at the moment as well. But, how, but gets a 500 pound bonus, you know, if to you, invest, if you go to if you go to an inve- if you go to an advisor, you're almost certainly not going to get told to put that five hundred pounds in an equity based ISA. But that person can go to a do it yourself platform and invest that five hundred pounds in any fund they want. Mm. So you think there is that kind of in the non advised world there is that impetus and there's that push towards getting people's assets on their on their books and getting people investing when perhaps it, it should should not be the case. I certainly think that there is more that there can be more to be done uh, to ensure that those people who invest on uh, the direct platforms uh, are making the, the right decision. Mm. 
I mean, and just looking at the space, obviously, because we're at the moment, we've got this massive advice gap, which is getting, you know, worse by the day. There was a report out recently that, you know, 15,000 advisors are going to retire in the next five years, mm. um, which is going to, you know, more than half the size of the advice market. Um, we've got the FCA doing this RDR review at the moment, which is going on. I mean, what, what do you think? And I understand you recently went to one of the FCA sessions. Yeah, so they, they had some roadshows around where they were, I think, just seeking feedback mm. from a whole re- you know, different participants in the industry around various various issues around the advice gap and yeah. you know what were the blockers, what were the opportunities. And what uh, were the, some of the feedback you were kind of giving the FCA to, to address the, the advice gap? Well, I mean, they were quite interesting. They were quite interesting sessions because it was very much around trying to get information out of out of everyone. And there's a whole range of views in certainly in the uh, workshop that I went to. Uh, there was a lot of you know traditional advisors who, you know, had the um, their, their issues around the increasing costs of uh, regulation, uh, the loss of commission in the RDR. Uh, and the fact that they were too busy because you know um, you know they they, they they didn't need to be uh, dealing with people who didn't have a lot of money and I have a great deal of sympathy with that because you know if um, demand outstrips supply then where's the incentive for uh, firms who are in rich health and busier than they've ever been uh, to Sort of change that business yeah. model to deal with uh, with lower uh, lower value there's, there's co- no, lower value customers. So uh, it's difficult to blame the incumbents uh, in the finance in the advice industry for not coming up with solutions to deal with uh, uh, part of the population they don't want to deal with. Mm. Uh, I think beyond the advice community, I think the um, I think the industry can do can be doing a lot more. To deal, uh, to try and come up with some, some solutions. So product providers, uh, and and you know, uh, lar- large platforms, asset managers who mm-hmm. who seem, who seem very comfortable to continue to support the idea of a guidance and non-advised solutions, um, which I think for the you know again for the reasons we've spoken about earlier, um, is a pretty lazy solution for the industry to come to come at. And you think those solutions kind of guide, those guidance solutions tend to guide client uh, investors into their own asset managers and providers' own products Yeah, and well, funds? you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's just difficult to agree that those people who don't have a lot of money are the people who don't need advice. You know, it just doesn't make any sense at all. You know, the industry as a whole are very happy to recognise that Financial literacy and numeracy levels are at you know at record lows. That more needs to be done in the playground to start uh, educating people, um, and that's all laudable and that's all correct. But it doesn't mean in the meantime we can continue to create solutions that ignores all of those facts by allowing people who don't have much experience. Or, or don't have much money to take on all the risk and responsibility of decisions um, that the that the industry doesn't want to take on themselves. Mm. And I mean, I, I suppose that point as well. We, we often do hear, you know, banks or asset managers or providers talk about financial education and how that's the answer to 
you know, the, the country's financial, personal financial problems. But, I mean, how much do, do you think it's more just a re reflection of the, the issues we see now, a reflection of just, you know, debt and, and, and poverty levels and, 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 you know, the amount of credit that's available there in the, in the market, which is, which is causing the issues rather than just poor financial education? Well, I think definitely p poor financial education has led to a lot of the, the problems that we've seen. You know, as an ever-increasingly sophisticated debt industry, um, you know, provides more, you know, in unsecured facilities uh, and, you know, more scams increasingly every week. There appears to be one, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that people don't understand and, uh, you know... Uh, not only do they not understand, but they're they're facing, you know, very well funded, very, you know, um, sophisticated marketing employees. You know, the idea, you know, there's an argument to say that, you know, the last thing the industry wants is for the population to become too educated on financial matters. Mm. Because then they'll, you know, make the right decisions and, and not... And make the right decisions arguably wouldn't be some of the ones that they're making at the moment. Interesting. But just looking at that kind of incentive idea, because obviously, you know, I think it is fair to say that a lot of providers don't have an incentive or advisors don't have an incentive to get involved in, in lower-income clients. I mean, but where can those incentives come from? How can the FCA change that? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, for us, we, we we generally saw it as an opportunity because there's a huge market there. So usually you would expect where there is a big market and a big opportunity, you'd expect there to be activity in there in developing business models to, to support that, whereas it feels as though the direction of travel is to continue to think that non-advised solutions are the answer to the advice gap. So, you know, you're not solving an advice gap by not providing advice, are you? You're basically, you're answering a different question. So what we've tried to do there is recognize that, that market and say there is actually an opportunity to be able to develop a solution and a, and a, and a commercially viable solution, which is providing advice. Now, I don't know what incentive the FCA can can introduce there because you know if general market dynamics aren't encouraging people to to enter that market, then it suggests that actually it's a pretty good place to be in the non-advised solution. Yeah, because there's a lot of money to be made there without taking on any of the risk and the responsibility of providing advice. And that's what a lot of providers have done. Yeah. You know, they moved out of advice, you know, like, like Supru or whoever. They've, they've all moved out of advice and, and have simply, you know, sat around making, making products. That's it. I mean, the, you, you mentioned the banks and people like that. I mean, they've all been involved in advice before and they've all made a massive horlicks of it. Yeah. They? And now they're getting back into it again. Yeah. And how do you think that's going to go this time? Well, I mean, providing advice to people with more than £100,000 in assets, if we're talking about the... Lloyd Schroeder, yeah, so JV. Well, yeah. they're talking about launching a robo-advice service for people without less yeah. than £100,000 and, and using the Lloyd Schroeder's JV for yeah. clients with over £100,000. Well, it'd be great. Great to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. I think the, you know, the, the, the more businesses that try to um, create solutions 
to uh, address this huge, pretty big market is is, is better. Mm. And I suppose one thing about this market as well is um, the, the kind of pension aspects and the retirement aspects of it, because um, this is something that you know the FCA has picked up on, like non-advised drawdown sales. Um, now, I suppose the FCA was, you know, released a very damning report about um, non-advised annuity sales and the, you know, the enhanced annuities not being sold, um, and some of the, you know, horrible sales incentives for for selling annuities, um, for and, and not selling enhanced annuities, um, which the FCA has recently released reports on. I mean, we're seeing a lot of non-advised drawdown happening at the moment. Uh, are you concerned about this? And do you think the FCA needs to kind of wake up to, to some issues there? Yeah, well, I, I think non-advised drawdown is a huge problem. I, I really struggle to see how it's realistic to expect people to make decisions on the whole range of you know variables that exist in how you take your retirement benefits. I mean, we've spent... Over 12 months, including time in the back in the advice unit, in trying to develop a at retirement solution. The FCA's advice unit. Yeah, and it's it's and it's so complicated. It's so complicated that to try and think that any anything other than a very small minority of the public who have got the relevant experience and uh, and and investment knowledge and and uh, financial literacy can make an informed decision. Is fanciful, mm. and I mean, how would you kind of change that? Would you think you'd say that the FCA needs to force people to take advice? You need to say, you know, if you're going through retirement, you need to see an advisor um, rather than just moving into to, to draw down all. Well, I think that might advice. be. I think that might be a bit, you know, excessive and unrealistic. I mean, it would be great if that was the uh, if that was the option, but I think there needs to be far more responsibility uh, on product providers who either allow um, existing customers to draw benefits uh, from them in the, in, the, in, in the same way as the old open market option on annuities or who are receiving benefits from other pensions to allow someone to, to draw benefits. There has to be more responsibility taken on whether or not the decisions being made are appropriate for that customer. Mm. And you think that's the providers, I guess, should yeah. be the ones? Well, it's the providers who benefit, isn't it? I mean, you know, if a customer makes the wrong decision, they've transferred, it, transferred all their money to a provider. The provider allows them to draw benefits. They get the benefit of the, of the assets. They make money on managing the money, um, but without any risk or responsibility as to if that customer, you know, has made the wrong decision. Mm. Um, and I think on that note, Anthony, I think we uh, draw things to a close. So thank you so much for coming in. Once again, thank you for inviting me, Jack. And uh, thank you to all our listeners. Um, make sure you subscribe um, on, on iTunes. And thank you all for listening.